Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez reporting today from Sacramento, where the investigation into Sunday morning's mass shooting here continues. Here's the latest. Police this morning say they've made a second arrest connected to the incident. He's 27-year-old Smiley Martin, who was wounded in the gunfire and is receiving medical treatment. The Sacramento Police Department says he'll be charged with possession of a firearm by a prohibited person and possession of a machine gun. Yesterday, Smiley Martin's brother, 26-year-old DeAndre Martin was arrested. He was booked on assault and possession of an illegal firearm. Meantime, officials have released the names of the six people who were killed in the shooting. They are Jontaya Alexander, Yamil Martinez-Andrade, Joshua Hoy Lucchese, Devatsie Turner, Sergio Harris, and Melinda Davis. They ranged in age from 21 to 57. Last night in downtown Sacramento, people gathered for a candlelight vigil to honor the victims' memories. A variety of community leaders spoke, from Sacramento Mayor Daryl Steinberg to community activist Barry Axius. Our voices can no longer be silent. You must be heard. Your public officials are right here to hear you. Do not be silent. One person who took up that invitation was Jackie Henderson, whose cousin Sergio was killed in the shooting. At the microphone, Henderson shared both his grief and anger about what had happened. Afterwards, Henderson spoke to me about his cousin and his despair over how society reacts to mass shootings. We just want to let you guys know who my cousin was. He was a solid cat. He was a father. He was a husband. He wasn't a gang member. He wasn't a dope dealer. He was just a solid individual who is trying to get his life right, do right by his kids, do right by his family. That's all he was. And he didn't deserve this. None of the people who got shot deserved this. You know what I mean? And the bottom line is, I'm not here to sit back and with much love to the mayor and all of them. It's not about my cousin. It's not about everybody else. It's about your political agenda. And I just, I'm not going to sit by, I'm not going to stand by and listen. The only thing I care about is the fact that my cousin is laying in the ground right now. My cousin is no longer with us. This has to change. It has to change. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Do you think anything is going to happen, the kind of things that you want to see? If I didn't, 
I wouldn't have went up there and spoke. I've been to a lot of different vigils, and I've never spoke. I've kept stuff inside. I can't do it on this one. So do I think things are going to change? I know they are for me. What about you? Don't ask me if I think they're going to change. Are you going to start changing things? I try. But are you going to try Are you going to try a little bit harder? Because it does affect you. It does affect you. Who's to say when you're not getting gas, someone doesn't run up on you and try to jack you? Are you going to change today? Exactly. Exactly. So we have to learn how to change. Every last one of us. So don't ask me if I'm going to change or if I feel there's a change. What are you going to do? That's what you got to ask yourself. I hate to leave, but I do have to, I do have to go. My but it was a pleasure. Again, that's Jackie Henderson, whose cousin Sergio Harris died in this past weekend's mass shooting in Sacramento. One of the victims, Melinda Davis, was a woman experiencing homelessness. Cap Radio's Chris Nichols has her story. 57-year-old Melinda Davis had lived on the streets of downtown Sacramento for much of the past decade. Until a few years ago, she would get meals at Loaves and Fishes, according to Shannon Dominguez-Stevens, who works at the Homeless Services Center. I do remember her coming in to have breakfast and at one point really struggling with um, just the number of people that were around. But her, her demeanor otherwise was calm and sweet from what, I, from what I can recall. The exact circumstances of Davis's death are still unknown. But Dominguez-Stevens, who runs a daytime shelter for women and children, says homeless people living outside are exposed to a constant threat of violence. She says safety is the number one reason people use her services. For the California Report, I'm Chris Nichols in Sacramento. Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse, golden state. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Out of the 12 people who were injured in the shootings and went to local hospitals, seven have been released. Meanwhile, the people of Sacramento continue to wrestle with the aftermath of the bloodshed. They include anti-violence advocate Leah Shank, founder of the nonprofit Impact. She's been focusing on the families of those who were killed. I met her yesterday as she was preparing to deliver food to the families. It's difficult. It's heartbreaking. It's nothing you ever get used to. You know, and we just want to make sure that the families have what they need. They're the priority right now. And then holding up our community members. A lot of people were here and witnessed that, you know, so it's it's a lot for this entire community. What do you think is going to be the most important thing to do in the coming day or two or three? Make sure these families are taken care of. Make sure they get their loved ones laid to rest properly. Make sure that there's some dignity behind their lives and their legacy. And just make sure that we're here for them. And try to make sure this never again happens. I mean, yeah, that's a bigger conversation, right? Yeah, and that's the difficult conversation because we have to give our community members something in place of where they don't feel safe. So we have community members that carry guns around because that gives them safety. We have to replace that with something so that they feel safe and they don't have to carry guns around. Again, that's Sacramento anti-violence advocate Leah Shank.
And in other Sacramento news, the city's public school teachers and staff have called off a strike that had kept schools in the district closed for more than a week. Students were back in school on Monday, and the pivot point might have been the aftermath of this weekend's shootings. Janelle Salanga is a reporter at CAP Radio in Sacramento. You know, obviously I wasn't in the bargaining room, but I would imagine that, you know, the district really wanted to ensure that students had schools to go to on Monday, right? So they would have access to not only the support that, the support of having, you know, a classroom community, but also so that they could be supported by teachers, school psychologists, and other school workers. You know, I imagine that that was a huge factor in the district eventually striking a compromise of the unions that did include a lot of what the unions were asking for, specifically around health care coverage for teachers. Janelle Salonga is a reporter at CAP Radio in Sacramento. The district agreed to a pay increase for members of the Sacramento City Teachers Association and members of SEIU 1021. It also will continue offering fully paid health benefits. Health coverage had been one of the big sticking points in negotiations. In a statement, District Superintendent Jorge Aguilar said, the events that unfolded in the midst of ongoing negotiations serve as a reminder that we have a role in working to prevent tragedies such as these. All parties are set to vote to ratify the contract later this week. As Sacramento teachers in their strike, teachers with the Summit Charter School Network are ready to start one if school leadership doesn't agree to a contract after more than a year of stalled negotiations. KQED's Julia McAvoy reports. Only around 10% of the state's charter schools have organized teachers' unions, and to date, just one has held a strike. But at Summit Schools, teachers are holding out for greater job security and increased staffing to help kids learn English. Janine Penyafort heads the union and graduated from Summit Prep in Redwood City, where she now teaches. Teachers do not want to strike, and especially coming up on the end of the year, we know the supports that students need to finish the year off strong. But it is getting to a point where we can no longer wait. Summit operates in California and Washington, serving some 2,500 students, grades 6 through 12. Summit's CEO and board could not be reached for comment. For the California Report, I'm Julia McAvoy. Hi there. I'm Randad Fattah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. As state and national tenant protections adopted at the beginning of the pandemic start to wane, the city of San Diego is bucking the trend by moving forward with stronger eviction protections. KPBS reporter Christina Kim has more. San Diego City is moving forward with a moratorium on no-fault evictions until September 30th, 2022, or 60 days after the end of the local state of emergency, whichever comes first. As their name suggests, no-fault evictions are when a tenant is evicted despite paying rent and obeying the lease. But the landlord wants to leave the rental market, move into the property, or substantially remodel. According to the Legal Aid Society of San Diego, no-fault evictions are the number one housing concern they've been responding to over the past six months. 
Senior housing attorney Gil Vera says this moratorium addresses a major loophole. It is a misnomer that the, the eviction moratorium that we've had throughout the pandemic, that tenant cannot be evicted. It is not true, not for no-fault evictions. They have been able to be evicted since October of 2020, over a year and a half ago. The city council needs to rehear the ordinance one more time before it can be enforced. For The California Report, I'm Christina Kim in San Diego. The city of Malibu is known worldwide for its wealth, but it also has a homeless population, which has grown in recent years. Now, the Malibu City Council has expressed unanimous support for a plan to move homeless residents outside of Malibu city limits. KCRW's Megan Jamerson has the details. There are around 140 people experiencing homelessness in Malibu. Under the proposal, the city will offer these folks transportation to a temporary shelter outside the city. Council members voiced their support for the plan in a recent council meeting, pointing to the city's limited availability of affordable housing and services like public transportation, medical and mental health facilities. The officials also raised concerns that building out housing and services inside the city would not solve Malibu. Malibu's homelessness, but rather attract more unhoused residents. The city's homeless task force believes its solution will meet the needs of people willing to accept services, while also making it easier for the sheriff's department to enforce the city's no-camping policy. The proposed temporary shelter will have anywhere between 6 to 30 beds, located no more than 20 miles from the L.A. County Sheriff's Department's Lost Hills Station. For the California Report, I'm Megan Jamerson in Los Angeles. In Los Angeles County, Sheriff Alex Villanueva will be forced to testify in court over long-running allegations that deputy gangs exist in his department. KCRW's Tara Atrian has more. For more than a year, the sheriff has been fighting a subpoena from the county's inspector general to discuss rogue gangs of deputies in the L.A. County Sheriff's Department. The alleged secret societies have used excessive force against citizens, among other dangerous violations, and reports of their existence date back to the 70s. Villanueva, who has openly feuded with county leaders about the allegations, called the summons harassing and tried to fight it in court. The sheriff's attorney argued that he'd been willing to only testify voluntarily if he was not under oath. His representative also claimed the office of the inspector general's subpoena was an abuse of power. But now Villanueva doesn't have a choice. The judge has ordered the sheriff to appear in court within 21 days, and his testimony will need to be transcribed by a court reporter. While issuing his order, the judge said, quote, what's the problem? Let the truth come out. For the California Report, I'm Tara Atrion in Los Angeles. Sheriff Villanueva says he plans to appeal the decision. And that's the California Report for Tuesday, April 5th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. Reporting from Sacramento, I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening. Support for the California Report comes from the Wesley Foundation, investing in California's underserved youth. Stanford Healthcare, alerting listeners to the critical blood shortage in the area. Now's the time to donate blood and make a difference. StanfordBloodCenter.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy harnesses the power of people and science to create innovative solutions for a healthy environment, just societies, and opportunities for human achievement. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. 
Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable human centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.